regrets and disappointments. Have you ever asked or thought, if only I'd scored higher on that test? If only I'd gone to college? If only I had different parents, a different background? If only I looked better? If only I had gotten that job. If only I'd married so-and-so. I know some of those things we think about and say, oh, no, I, I, I hope, but I hope you get the picture. Do you have any regrets? Have you ever had any disappointments in life? We all have. I mean, life is full of situations which don't turn out the way either we expected or the way we wanted. But you know how we deal with that, with those regrets and disappointments of life? That shows our character. As Christians, all of our, our activities, everything that we go out to do in life, we know we should do with our zeal, right? For we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Paul tells us that over in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. Turn to there real quickly. A couple of passages we might want to look at here. Some of them I'll just mention in passing, but I like this one. Colossians chapter 3. Well, I like them all, but this one's pretty, pretty good. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Verse 24. Knowing whenever you're working in a job, Whatever that mundane job is, we know something about it. That the Lord, ye, that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. Amen. I mean, with that knowledge, we should be able to take any task. No task should be too small if it's something we know that the Lord's given us to do, right? Because we know He's going to reward us for it. If we have reasons to be sorrowful, reasons to have regrets and disappointments because of sin, especially our sin. I mean, maybe the circumstances that we didn't get what we wanted or thought we should get because we made a mistake. No, we did something wrong. We sinned. Well, we know 1 John 1, nine tells us that as soon as we realize that, all we have to do is go to the Lord, forsake it, and confess it to Him fully and cleanly, and He forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So that should take care of those kind of circumstances. Over in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit, which if I claim to be a spiritual person, well, I claim to be a Christian, right? That means I'm a spiritual person. What are the first three aspects of that fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. So I should have those things can take care of all of those regrets and disappointments, right? I mean, theoretically, we've got, we should have methods of taking care of all that. What about though, some of us? I've got that nature. I'm not going to point to anybody else, but I know I've got that nature. What about some of us that can have periods 
or have had periods of excessive sadness, worry, regret. You know what? Besides being a time waster, because think back, what did all your worry about the past really accomplish? Just sitting back and going over and listing all the failures of my life, did that accomplish one thing? Or did I just waste a bunch of time in going over it? Aside from being a waste of time and energy, there's something worse about that. That's a sin. That's a sin. And I want us to look at contentment and think about it from that standpoint. From the standpoint of the regrets and the disappointments that we have in life. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Turn to this one. This is my central passage I want us to remember. If you don't remember anything else, remember this from tonight. Because it's powerful. It's only one verse. You know, this is, you know, in games, you know, whether it's a basketball game or a football game, after the game's already been won, you know, they call it garbage time, right? You know, it's just filling up the time until it's done. Well, Paul's done all his major arguments. He's done all of his major uh, uh, doctrinal points in Hebrews. Hebrews 13 is almost what you might call spiritual garbage time. I mean, it's just a bunch of miscellaneous things. There's no in-depth thing he's talking about here. Just little individual points. But look at this jewel. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with, with such things as you have. Four. Why should I be content with what I've got? Here's why. Here's the because. For he, that's God, God has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Wow. Just take a second and let that sink in. The God of the universe, the God who said, let there be light, and there was light. The God who said, let there be an earth, and there was an earth. The same God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We talked about that a lot, didn't we? The salvation God gave us this past Sunday. He said to you, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Why then should I have any regrets? Why should I have any disappointments in life? If I've got that... If I've got God on my side, if I've got that as my prospect, what more do I need? Well, let's move on from that thought. Discontentment. Having those regrets. I'm not talking about just individual, you know, occasional, but I'm talking about if you, well, you let those things last for more than a few minutes. That's a horrible sin in light of that verse, isn't it? It implies that God's not enough for you. You wanted something more. And because you didn't get that more thing, that's why you're so out of sorts. You know, we sin when we choose to fret against our circumstances and are sad. This is why, notice he mentions covetousness here. 
What is covetousness equated to elsewhere in Paul's writings? Witchcraft and idolatry. When you want something more than you want God, you've just set up your little idol right there, haven't you? And you're wanting that little idol more than you're wanting the Lord. But that all comes from being discontent with what God's given us. You know, what's a truly successful life? A truly successful life is when you have something added to godliness, right? Called contentment. First Timothy chapter 6 tells us this. First Timothy 6, verses 6 through 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to be wealthy in something that's worth having? Work on being godly and then be content with whatever you got. That's great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. <laughs> How did you come in here? You came in here naked, right? How are you going to go out? Your soul's going to be naked. You're not going to be carrying anything with it if we die before the Lord comes back. If the Lord comes back, well, He's going to take what we've got and change it. So what we got right now, we're not carrying with us. And I'm talking about the body. Everything else around us? No. Remember what Randy Hester has said about, you know, he made it in context of a car, but I mean, it's in context of everything, all the goodies we have in this life. It all has a hot future, doesn't it? It's going to be burned up with fervent heat one day if it doesn't rot away before then. So, to be truly successful, you want to have godliness with contentment. What are we talking about when we talk about contentment? What is it to be content with something? Contentment, that's the satisfaction and thankful attitude that you hold towards your present circumstances in life. I mean, I look around at what I've got. I'm happy with that. It's good enough. It's a choice that you make to be happy and to be content. Just as much as it's a choice you make to be discontent with what you have. You look around and you either say, wow, that's nice. Or you look around and say, oh, is that all there is? Either one's a choice you're making. And it has nothing to do with everything else around you. Right. It's all totally with me, myself, and I. What I'm, How I'm viewing what God's given me. Oh, and that's the way to look at it. Where did you get all the stuff that surrounds you? The Lord gave it to you. Oh, so either you're looking around saying, thank you, Lord, for what you gave me, or you're saying, oh, Lord, can't you give me something better than that? Very simply, your choice of attitude regarding God's choice in your life is what contentment is. Think about it. Contentment does not mean... If you study Scripture carefully, contentment does not mean that there's not something better out there. Right? There's always better things, aren't there? From the standpoint of whatever it is. I mean, I was an athlete. Okay? And I used to, I had goals that, you know, I would work and strive for. As soon as I hit one, well, there's always a faster time to run. Right? There's always more weight to press. 
There's always more of something out there, whatever it is you're wanting. So contentment doesn't mean that there's not something better out there in your life. It means that you don't think or worry about that better thing because God has not given it to you yet. When we talk about contentment, that's what we're talking about. There may be better things out there. God hasn't decided to give it to me yet. So I'll take what God's given me and be happy with it. Contentment does not murmur or complain against what God has done. Well, God hasn't done much in my life, has he? Oh, let's see here. Were you born? Did you accomplish that task? Did your parents accomplish that task? No. Your very birth, your very existence, every breath you take is because God has given you strength and opportunity to take that breath. So everything you've got in life is from the hand of God. Even, think about this now, even your own folly. My sin's not part of God, is it? Well, it's an all-wise Jehovah, an all-good Jehovah, who for his holy and good ends has let you do those things. Can somebody help me out? Do you know a verse over in the Psalms that has something that would approach this, that would help us on this point? A little pop quiz for you. You didn't know you were going to do that, did you? A little pop quiz. Matthew? Amen. Amen. We normally look at that from the side point of, you know, of, of what God's doing, you know, with great events of time, you know, how he restrains the wicked. It's talking about how he controls even your sin. The wrath of man, that's my sin. Not God's righteousness, it's my wrath. But God restrains even my sin. And it's all for a good end. Commitment does not mean satisfaction with less than your best. Okay? Let's, let's make sure we put around contentment the right parameters here. Sin's involved, but we already talked about earlier how you take care of that, right? If you know that you sinned, you can take care of that and get that out of the way. Contentment doesn't mean I just float through life, you know, just doing whatever. No, I want to work. We've already looked at the verse that says that. I should want to be doing things with my might. Okay? But doesn't God then bound us with what is our best effort? Can somebody help me with that verse? It's one of our pastor's favorite passages. It saved him many a time. Need some more hints? Psalm 127, 1 and 2. It's worth looking at again. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Bless, nope, wrong one, here we are. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It doesn't say you don't build a house to protect yourself. Yeah, you build the house. But God's the one who keeps it safe. It doesn't say that you don't have national defense. You don't have police forces. Yeah, there's robbers out there, you need them. But you don't count on them to do the full protection. God's the one that's going to have to protect you if you're going to be protected. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. So again, what have we been taught and we know? 
I can be content. I can work hard, but I, it means I don't have to work an 80 hour day. I can go to sleep at night. I can work my best during that 24 hour period God's given me and take part of it off and say, I got to rest. I got to sleep. Lord, you take care of the rest. And he will. So see, even in contentment, though we're not, we always want to strive to do our best. It's not an unhuman best. It's a reasonable best. Contentment is being satisfied with whatever God gives you as your best effort. Look at Ecclesiastes 11. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 6. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whither thou whither shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Put forth your best effort. And if it only gets a small, meager response, well, that's fine if that's what God gave you. There'll be times when you might do a big effort and you just get a little bit back. I've had times when I've made a little effort, I've thought, relatively speaking, and God's just covered me with blessing from it. Either one. The secret of contentment is whatever comes, large or small, I'm going to take it and say, thank you, Lord. That's so much better than I deserved. Again, I don't have the verses on it, but I'm, I'm trusting you've read enough scripture. What do we all deserve by nature? We were all the children of... So we deserve God's judgment. Anytime he's not judging me, anytime he's not pounding me down because of my sins, it's a blessing and I ought to be thankful for it. And everything he gives me above that, that's gravy, right? That's icing on the cake. What are some of the things that will hinder you from being content? There's a lot of things. I'm going to narrow it down to just about three little items. I'm going to help you out. Just three little things. Watch excessive expectations. We expect too much from life many times. Especially if you're, if you've been born and raised in America in the 20th century, or now the 21st century, and you look at the lies of Hollywood all around you in Madison Avenue, it means, I should be in the White House, right? And I should be Bill Gates, and I should, no, that's an unrealistic viewpoint. Okay, you want to ex- watch out for those excessive expectations. One, that a particular thing will bring me happiness. That's what Madison Avenue wants to sell you all the time, right? If I just had that car, right, everybody would, would, would think I'm such a wonderful guy. If I just wore the right suit, right? If I just lived in the right house in the right neighborhood. Now, as soon as you get there, you're going to find out the crabgrass grows in that yard just as well as it does where you left. Amen. That beautiful Lexus will rust away just like the old Ford. Think about especially money. You know, oh, if I only had money. No, because the amount just keeps growing that you've got to have to be happy. Once you get this level, no, I need more. I love the story told about some baron back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that he was shipping a whole carload of, of uh, grain someplace. And it was near the Great Lakes in the time of season where they could have storms, you know, 
Does he pay for insurance or does he just risk it and send that one trade loan through with that insurance on it? Well, he paid for the insurance, you know, and I don't know what the amount was, but he never could. He wasn't happy afterwards. The train load went through. He made a big killing on the, on the sale of that, but he could have made so much more if he hadn't had to pay the insurance premium on it. That's man. That's us. There's always more you want. Number two, excessive expectation. And that is beyond what is normal or given by God. Details. You can have a circumstance where you're planning in advance for an event. And the event goes all successfully. But you know, the napkins weren't folded just right. It was a disaster. I'm sorry, I guess there's nobody here that's got that kind of temperament, do they? I guess I'm the only one here that's ever had something like that, you know. Everything is going right, but there's one little detail over here that's not quite right. And it spoils it. Look, if everything went well, who cares about the detail? Nobody else did at the event. You're the only one that worried about it. Excessive expectations. If you've ever seen Coke Zero commercial in the last two weeks, it's got the guy, it's got a young guy sitting there across the desk from the older guy. You know, he's just finished obviously doing his interview. And he says, you got the job. And the kid looks over him. And? And he looks over and says, stock options. Come on. That's not life. The 40-year-old guy talking to the 25-year-old twerp out of college, and he's getting stock options now? I don't think so. But that's our attitude. You got the job. And you got the job, kid. What else do you want? Make sure you got realistic expectations. A third thing. And I'll give you the, the verse on this. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. If you focus, like the world will have you focus, on three things. Wisdom, might, and riches. If that's what you're expecting, if that's the thing that's going to get you where you want to be on easy street, you're in for a failure. Can somebody read that for me? Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, Amen. Amen. That's a successful man, the one in that last verse, who understands those things. And you don't have to have a lot of wisdom. doesn't take any might. doesn't take any money to understand that. Quick application. We can pray for better circumstances. Contentment doesn't mean that you don't pray that if the Lord would grant it, you can have some better circumstances. But you always accept the Lord's answer. The first thing that should always jump into our mind is over in 2 Samuel chapter 12. That's David praying for the son of Bathsheba. He was in sackcloth and ashes. He refused any entertainments. He refused food. He was praying to the Lord for that child to be delivered. 
As soon as he got the word the child was dead, what did he do? He got right up, washed his face, changed his clothes, and went in to supper. And his servants wondered about it. They were afraid to tell him at first that the child had died. Because look, all of this effort he's going through, what's he going to do when he finds out the child is dead? Here's what a child of God does who trusts in his, his Lord. He accepts it, and he goes on with life. David, and, and, but they didn't understand that. They said, well, David, well, what? All this stuff you're doing beforehand, now he's dead. What? Well, I was praying and hoping the Lord would change his mind. He told me the child would die. I was hoping he'd be merciful, because he can be. He's got that right to be merciful and change his mind. He decided not to be. Hey, the Lord's good. I won't see the, I won't see the child now. I, he can't come to me, but I'll go to him one day. And I'll see him later. So he was content. Second, accept your position in life and don't fret about it. If opportunities come where you can easily change your life, do them. Pursue them. But don't break yourself because of who you are in life. Third point, if Jesus Christ is rightly understood, you have more than heart could wish. Go back to our Hebrews 13.5 on that one. Hebrews 13.5 and 6. Because it gets even prettier. It gets even sweeter. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that, there's a corollary, there's a follow on to that. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You can have a carefree life, brethren. You don't need to worry about anybody. You can be a godly man. And if other people don't like it, it's their problem, not yours. Because the Lord's going to take care of you. Do you understand Jesus Christ rightly? What else do you need? But he's so good. That's my favorite topic. The goodness of God. He is so good, he doesn't, in most cases, want you to settle with just that. He piles on good things in your life. True satisfaction, next point, is found in the Lord himself. Look at Psalm sixty, Psalm 36. A couple of quick verses here to look at. Psalm 36, verses 7 and 8. Look at David talking about the Lord. And this can be us, brethren. This should be us. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thine house. And thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. Doesn't talk about a small little creek or stream. It's a river of pleasure the Lord provides those who trust in Him. Look at Proverbs 19 and 23. Proverbs 19 and 23. The fear of the Lord, isn't that something we talked about? The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. 
You want a good life? You want a satisfied life? Fear the Lord. And you'll have a good life. And then accept what the Lord gives you as His gift. Don't want more than that. Don't expect more than that. Be happy with what He gives you. Contentment is a learned activity. Contentment is us choosing an attitude of satisfaction that we find in Jesus Christ and in His strength. Look at our brother Paul and his example over in Philippians chapter 4. Boy, read his resume sometime. Look at all the things that Paul went through. You're never... He's kind of like a New Testament Job. Okay? He suffered things that none of us will ever have to suffer through. But with all the sufferings, all the things he went through, what can he say over in Philippians chapter 4, starting verse 11? Not that I speak in respect of want. He's just commending these brethren because he had some needs and they sent him things. They took care of those carnal physical needs for him. And he's thanking them for it. But then, in the middle of this, he gives us a great lesson. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Oh, that's beautiful, brethren. Go on. I know both how to be abased, that's how to be put down, and I know how to abound, be brought up. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me. Again, back to the whole subject of, if you've got God, if you've got Jesus Christ, what more do you need? With Jesus Christ, you can go through anything. And what did Paul, what's, what's one of the phrases he used to describe what we should, what we are like? More than conquerors. We have a better life than the guys that stand on top of the podium with the gold medal around their neck. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Contentment is the attitude of a joyful heart. You know, such a person can live life like it is a continual feast. That's the verse I opened up with. Proverbs 15 and verse 15. To the afflicted soul, everything is evil. But he that hath a joyful heart hath a continual feast. And I'm sure I missed a word or two in there. One last practical point. And this is a point I'll bring up because of I've seen it. And I think those of us who are perceptive have seen it too. Brethren, I could go to the passages. I don't think there's a need to. But we should ignore things, practically speaking, that are matters of liberty and are none of our business. How many times have we run across people who have been oh so upset, oh so concerned about things that weren't their business? Or that were matters of liberty. Do you know what the nature of matter of liberty is in Scripture? It's just that. It's liberty. I mean, I could list different things that I like and don't like. And do you know what? It doesn't mean a hill of beans. And I'm not even going to list any. 
I'm not going to try. I'm not going to come close to offending any brother out there, sister out there who likes certain things that I don't like, because that's their liberty, just as much as it's my liberty not to partake of it. If God has said something's unimportant, meaning He hasn't listed it down in Scripture with tight boundaries, telling us what we should or shouldn't do, who are you to dictate to somebody what they should or shouldn't do? But brethren, we've had members. We ourselves will get ourselves in trouble if we start, well, but I just want to be safe. If it's a matter of liberty, as long as you're in it, you're safe. Don't worry about it. Leave it alone. Don't meddle with it. Contentment. It's a great blessing. But I'll go back to my opening passage. It's a commandment, brethren. It is a commandment that we be content with whatever things the Lord has given us because of that very reason. God's given it to us. And if you will look around and see all the things that God has done for you. What's the song we sing? Count your many blessings. The next time you get... you. Start smelling the smallest little bit of discontentment in your life. Start counting. Start going and counting your blessings. You go through and start making a list of all the things God's done for you that He didn't have to do. Then start making a list. If that's not long enough, start making a list of things He shouldn't have done for you, you dirty, rotten sinner. May the Lord help us that we properly handle the regrets and the disappointments that we come across in life. <clears throat> that we are always content with what the Lord has done for us. And that we're always striving to serve Him and thank Him for all the good things He's done for us. Please join me in standing. Thank you, Charlie and Gail, for a wonderful supper. It was excellent. We greatly enjoyed it. Please remember the different matters of prayer. And again, I know I mentioned it Sunday, but these help me. A list of all the brethren of the church and a time by which you can think about them. There's all sorts of needs we have. As Brother Eric said, you will find great pleasure and joy when you start serving others, and that's an easy way to serve. Take Put aside some of that time Brother Jonathan's talked about that we ought to be giving the Lord Take some of that aside and pray for your brethren. Remember them between now and Sunday. Our most gracious Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, kindness, abundant mercy that you've shown towards us. Dismiss us now with thy blessing, Father. Help us that we might be the most contented people on the face of the earth. Forgive us when we haven't been, Lord, and grant that if you don't come back soon, Lord, before Sunday, Lord, grant that we all might be able to gather together to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another, and to glorify you yes. here in this place. Be with our brother and sister. Bring them safely back to us, Lord, refreshed and rested. And Lord, we'll give you the praise, the glory, and the honor for all of this. For it's in the blessed name of Jesus Christ we ask these things. Amen. Amen.